Well, good morning. Let me add to Brock's welcome. It's great to have you with us. Good morning, Yaram. Good morning, Locksport. Even if it took you a few minutes to get online this morning, Locksport and Yaram, we apologise, but you're here with us, I believe. Pastor Jackie's down in Locksport, enjoying the beautiful weather down there. Fantastic. Kids is on at the moment. If you've got kids, the creche is on. You're welcome to use that. Kids are also welcome in the room at all times as well. Um, great to have you with us. If, you, if you're here for the first time, a special welcome. We're really glad that you're here with us. Uh, and my name is Brad. I'm the senior pastor here. And we're going to be preaching in John chapter 6 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles with you, um, as Brock mentioned, we are in the book of John and we've been in there for a while since the start of the year, it feels like. And we're only up to John 6, so maybe next year we'll get through it a bit faster than we got through this year. Hopefully it's still giving you some life and encouragement as we go through it. John chapter 6, and you might know this story as we read it, and I hope you've maybe heard it before. It says this, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he performed by healing the sick. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he had already in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come to the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to, hit, intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the opportunity to gather across Sale, across Yaram, Locksport and many lounge rooms this morning. Uh, God, we thank you for your word and we pray that you're able to speak to us and unify us around your truth this morning. We pray that it would nourish us, uh, encourage us, and challenge us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I should also mention a big welcome back to our Philippines team. They're back in the country. A bit bleary-eyed. Yeah, you can give a clap. I've made it. Fantastic. And we're going to hear from uh, them in a couple of weeks' time. On the 3rd of December, they're going to share um, some stories and reflections of what's happened over there. But um, give us... Put your hand up if you're in the room in sale and you went to the Philippines, just so people know who to go and seek out. Who's here this morning? Yep, a few of them. Some of them are still probably in bed, a bit tired. 
Um, so yeah, make sure you say good day to them, welcome them home, find out what they've been doing. So this story, like I said, uh, you've probably heard before. Um, and I think this story is, it, there's more to it than meets the eye. I think sometimes you can just see this story and think, oh, I've heard this story, I know this story, I understand what it's about, Jesus is a miracle worker. But there's, there's more than meets the eye. Um, and I reckon that's true of a lot of things. You know, yesterday I started building a gate uh, for down the side of my house. And I mean, my brother-in-law is a builder and pretty good. And sometimes I see what he does and think, oh, how hard could it be? And then you start <laughs> doing it or you see him playing the drums and you think, oh, how hard could it be? And then I try and... Anyway, you think, how hard could this... Or you see a, a cooking show on TV like MasterChef and you see what they're doing and like, oh man, if, I, if someone told me what to do, how hard could it be? I could do that. Um, making a cake, um, raising a child, you know. Anyone who, I mean, before you have kids, you think, huh, when, I'm a, when I'm a parent, <laughs> it's going to be so easy. Wow. Okay. Anyway, but anything you see from a distance and you see uh, and you don't really understand or you haven't got uh, a hands-on sort of experience of it, you can look and go, I think I get it. I think I could do that. Um, maybe you're not as naive as me. Um, and I think sometimes with this story, especially if you've heard it preached before, you can go, oh, yeah, I know. This is the story. This is the story about giving, giving Jesus what you have. Like the little boy, he came and he had the five loaves and the two fish. And Jesus just wants us to come and give, us, give him whatever we have. And then he'll work a miracle out of it. He'll use whatever we bring. He'll, he'll make it turn into, uh, he'll multiply it and make it, and make it great. Um, what you have in your hand, you just surrender it to Jesus and it can be multiplied to influence and bring good for so many people. Uh, whether that's a word of kindness or whether that's an encouragement, it goes so much further than it does just being kept to yourself. And that's a great message and, uh, and sure, you could preach that message from this story. But I think there's more than that though and there's, there's far more to this story than that truth. And that's probably not the primary, primary truth um, of this story. There is something about obedience, and Jesus says, do it. Um, you do it regardless of the obvious shortfall, you know. The disciples could have gone, okay, Jesus, you're asking us to give out these five little loaves and two fish to 5,000 men plus all the women and children, like some 10,000 people. Okay, we'll do it. Um, knowing we'll get to the first row and we'll be gone, especially because you said take as much as you want. Uh, sort of like if you've ever been to a a buffet before and it's like eat as much as you want and the kids are like all right they load their plates up they can't eat it all but they take it all and there's no good prawns left for everybody else there's something about obedience that jesus wants us to learn from this story do it regardless of the obvious shortfall do it regardless of the inability for change to happen in that person's life like tell them the good news of jesus be kind to them forgive them be an encouragement to them be generous towards them demonstrate your faith, do it despite the obvious shortfall because you never know when Jesus is going to work a miracle. And there is a message in that and there is something to be taken from that. But this story is so much more. Um, the, the story is so much more because the rest of chapter 6 just unpacks this truth. It is all about Jesus being the bread of life. And you remember so far in John, there has been times where the obvious things have been miss, missed by the people in the story. Like in John chapter 2, 
where Jesus said, you know, destroy this temple and I'll, I'll raise it up again in, um, in three days. And the people around were like, but it took us 46 years to build this. How are you going to destroy it and redo it in three days? Like, I mean, we've seen the block, but still three days. It's not going to happen. Or born again to Nicodemus in chapter 3. And Nicodemus is like, yeah, okay, Jesus, but I'm a bit big to get back in the womb. Like, it's, I don't know if you really understand the anatomy of the human body. Like, it's not going to work. Or the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and she's talking to Jesus, and he says, living water, and he's like, well, where's your bucket? You don't have a bucket. Like, what are you talking about? And we've been talking about this idea that God's creation is not just for its... It doesn't just exist for itself, but rather it exists to demonstrate and show us something of God's goodness. And so this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is not just a miracle in and of itself, but it's there to demonstrate something for us. It's there to show us something and point to something, to reveal something. We see it all through, especially John's gospel, like water is not just there for the sake of water, but it's there to demonstrate Jesus quenching our thirst or light. Everything good is created for Jesus. Nothing exists for itself. Colossians 1 tells us this. Everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules or authorities, all things have been created through him, talking about Jesus, and for him. Warm, fresh, baked bread. You ever make bread, have a fresh loaf of bread straight out of the oven, or go to the bakery and you get the fresh bread straight from the, the bakers that morning? There's something about that, isn't there? Like, you can just eat it. You don't need to put anything on it. That experience is not just good for itself. It's good to show you something of Jesus. Every time you have warm, fresh bread, baked bread. I'll try to say that really fast 10 times. Um, there is something about it. It should show us something of Jesus. Or every time you have a cold glass of water after doing some work and you're hot and you're really thirsty, that feeling of just like having a cold glass of water. And some of you are like, oh, I could go that right now. It shows us something of Jesus. Or light when it's dark and you're trying to do something and then suddenly someone turns the lights on and you're like, oh, that is so much better. It's to show us something of Jesus. These things are not just existing for themselves, but they show us something of Jesus. And so this story sets up the rest of chapter 6. It's not primarily about the boy or the disciples, but it's primarily about the bread and the fish, the provision from nothing. And Jesus, just like in the chapters leading up until this point, is saying, I am the bread from heaven. Like, I am the living water. I am the light. I am the truth. I am grace. I don't just give these things. I don't just provide these things, but I am these things. And John is setting up this miracle to show us it's more than just feeding some hungry people. We see that because of the first two verses in John chapter 6. So let's read the first two verses again. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far side of the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he performed by healing the sick. So there's a large group following him, coming to Jesus, because they see that he is a miracle worker. They were chasing the benefits of his power. And this is not a great thing. Remember in John chapter 2, um, 
verse 23 and 24, it says, While he was still in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. There were plenty of people around, plenty of crowds, and we see through John chapter 6 as he unpacks this, a lot of them just left. When he, un- when he unpacked why he did what he did and what, he- what it all meant, we're going to see later on in John chapter 6, many of them walked away. They couldn't handle this truth. There were plenty of people excited about his miracles, but there was something wrong. Don't miss who Jesus really is. He is far more than a miracle worker. He's not less, but he's far more than a miracle worker. He is far more than a God who just fills in the gaps of your life, who meets the shortfalls, who just takes what you've got and then just goes the rest of the way. He's far more than that. In verses 14 and 15 of John chapter 6, at the end of the story, John sort of gives us this context before and after. He says, after the people saw the signs, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who came into the world. And then Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a man by himself. And so why did Jesus withdraw himself? Because they wanted to make him something that he wasn't. They wanted to make him king by force to rule. People can get very excited about Jesus, different parts of Jesus, but not who he really is. They might be excited for a socialist Jesus or a justice-bringing Jesus or a, 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 a grace-giving Jesus or a morally upright Jesus, you know, Jesus who does certain things, but they don't want all of Jesus. He is far more than that. He brings justice. He is good news for the poor, but he's more than that. He is truth and he is holiness, but he is so much more than that. Your excitement for Jesus, anyone's excitement for Jesus, has to be for the real Jesus, who Jesus really is, who who he really reveals himself to be. He is not a God of the gaps, but he is God of all. He is not God of just the little bits that we need. He is not like a... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Like an ATM where you can just go to the wall and get the the money or the, the good things, the gifts that you want. And this is the, I mean, it's the problem with the prosperity gospel is that he's trying to give you something and then you get it and you still need more of it and it doesn't really fulfill. But you, anyway, there's, he's not the God of the gaps. He is God of all. And so let's look at these, I want to look at these two ideas where they say, surely he's the prophet who's come to this world this idea of the prophet, and then the idea that he, they were trying to make him king by force. So the prophet and the king. So the people in the crowd weren't far off. They weren't completely off, off, the, off the mark um, saying that Jesus was the prophet. And because this idea goes back to Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Remember, John's writing to a Jewish audience and he's trying to convince people that this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God. Um, and so this story would have just brought back all the memories of the Israelites in the wilderness receiving manna from heaven. Um, and in Deuteronomy 18, it says this, Moses says, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. And maybe even some commentators would say this is why he goes up onto a mountain to do this miracle, like Moses did. He's like demonstrating the likeness of Moses. Uh, providing bread um, from heaven. And so, yes, Jesus is the prophet mentioned, but he is so much more. 
Later on in chapter 6, Jesus is going to sort of unpack this idea even more. He says, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true... Sorry. Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Remember God's people wandering around in the desert and God is providing manna, bread from heaven, day after day. Every day he would provide bread and they would have uh, enough bread for that day and then they would wait till the next day. And Moses was leading them through this time. Daily provision, life-sustaining provision. But Jesus is saying, I, I'm like Moses, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing bread from heaven, but I'm not like Moses in the way that I'm just leading you in this season and so bread is still coming, not from me. I am more than just a conduit. I'm more than just a messenger. Moses didn't provide the bread. God did. And now I am the bread. They are seeing the power of God at work through Jesus and they think they get it, but there is something they don't see. They're missing this idea of power. That that Jesus has uh, power um, in a way that Moses didn't have power. The power I have, this power you see demonstrated, is going to be used not to, um, to rule, and we'll get to this more when we talk about the idea of being a king. He's not going to use this power just to come and oppress the, the government and the Romans and take charge, because this is what they wanted. They wanted a, a, someone who would come with the power and say, so he's demonstrating, I've got power, I can give you bread. But the power I'm going to use is to, be, to triumph over sin. And the bread that I'm going to bring is is me, myself. I am the bread of life that you need. You don't need me for my gifts that I bring. You don't need me for the things that I can do for you, but you need me. Your soul, your deepest need is, is, is me and who I am. And then these two ideas are connected together, that I'm the bread of life as I lay my life down for sinners. And this is captured in, uh, in verse 51 of chapter 6. It says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So he is the prophet like Moses, but he is so much more. And then he is the king, but not of this world, not in the way that they want. Surely Jesus was the king. And he was, but not the king they imagined. In John chapter 18, when Jesus is going to the cross and Pilate asks him, are you saying you're king of the Jews? And they have a bit of a conversation, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You know, Jesus is not denying to be king. He's not saying, I'm not king, but I'm not the king of this world like you think. Uh, my, My kingdom is far different. How do kings of this world operate? Well, they rule by force, by power, by military, by making people submit, by subduing through armed forces. And this is not the kind of king that Jesus is. We don't submit and serve because we have our hands tied and we, we must, like there's no other choice for us. And I think it's why the idea of um, preaching on hell and the, the, the judgment that God will bring and and trying to convince people to give their lives to Jesus through that motivation is, is flawed. 
is because Jesus is not that kind of king that wants to rule by force, wants to rule by fear. But he is, he is countercultural. He is, he's bringing like an upside-down kingdom. He's not looking for you to be afraid, but rather see that he is your bread. He is the provision. He is the thing that you need. He satisfies your soul, your deepest hunger, your biggest thirst. He satisfies it. You can get temporary satisfaction through the gifts that he brings, like food, like water, like relationships, like sex, like experiences, like all these things that God has created are good, and they bring good experiences, and you can get some sense of satisfaction from them, but ultimately be wanting more. Ultimately, they will not satisfy the way that he can. These good things are meant to point to the greatest thing, that is Jesus. He is king by the way he provides for you. There is no better kingdom to be a part of because, of your, deepest, because your deepest needs are satisfied forever. I want to read what one commentator wrote about this idea. He says, when you, what you see back in chapter 6 is that the crowds did not understand this at all. Verse 26 is the key to why Jesus withdrew and would have nothing to do with their excitement about his kingship. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. This is why you want to make me king. To have me as king means full stomachs. They hadn't been changed. Jesus didn't come into the world to lend his power to already existing appetites. That's the fundamental mistake of the prosperity gospel. Leave people untransformed in what they crave and simply add the power of Jesus as the way to get it. And this is not the gospel. It's the kind of acclamation that Jesus walks away from. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him king by force, to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He walks away. He walks away. And so the challenge as we read this story and as we understand the rest of John chapter 6 is that Jesus desires not just to fill in the gaps of your life, not to come and just say, oh, I've got a need, I'll come to Jesus for this need, but for the rest, I'm okay. This is what Jesus was trying to push back against the whole time. I'm not just here to satisfy the little bits of your life, but I am here to satisfy your whole life, every part of it. Taste and see that the Lord is good, it tells us in Psalms. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 5 and 6 of John chapter 6. Let's finish with this idea. It says, When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. The question is the same. Where will you go to get your bread? Where will you get your bread from? We've all got it. We all need it. We all need the, the deepest parts of our soul to be satisfied. Where this week will you go to have the deepest parts of your soul satisfied? The best thing you can do for the people that you love, for the people around you that you want to, to come to know Jesus, the best thing that you could do would be to go to Jesus and have your soul satisfied by him. Come to Jesus, the living water, the light of the world, the truth, the bread of life, and find your satisfaction in him. Don't let him just fill in the gaps of your life, but let him be your life. 
Don't just look to him for the good things that he can do for you. But look to him for, for everything that you need. Can we pray together? And then the team's going to come up. We're going to worship. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning and we pray that you would help us to see you as our bread. The true bread of life. God, that we would not go to you just when we need it, just when we have a shortfall. God, we don't want you to be just the, the God of the gaps, but we want you to be God of all, King of all, Lord of all. Lord of our hearts. God, would you help us to, to see you for you, who you really are? Would you help us to surrender our whole life, not just parts of it? And God, this week, would you help us to come to you for everything that we need? And God, as we do that, I thank you that people will see our souls satisfied in you. And they will see the, the glory, the goodness, the grace that you offer, that you are. And Lord Jesus, as we come and we respond and worship you now. God, for the things and the areas of our life that we've maybe not surrendered to you, the areas of our life that we've chosen to be king of, God, we choose to lay them down. We ask for your help to lay them down, knowing that you are a good God, a trustworthy king. Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for the love that you have for us. We ask that you would increase our faith. Help us to come to you the way you want us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand and can we worship? together.